morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent this Thursday, March the 3rd. I pray everyone had a blessed Ash Wednesday, and today we continue this Lenten journey by studying the inspired and true Word of God, and the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 19. The rich man asked a question that, well, from our hearts, we all ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It just comes out of the mouth right away. Everything we do in life, you have to work for it. So he asked, what must I do? And the question is, as we have been looking at the kingdom of the Lord in Christ throughout the book of Matthew, the question is, what's the answer? Or is the question, um, or, or we ask, is this actually the right question? We'll find out today. Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy and honor of having welcoming the Reverend Dr. Gerard Bowling of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and also Assistant Professor of Leadership and Theology at Concordia University in Austin, Texas. Pastor Bowling, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Yes, hello. today. Great to have you. Yeah, Pastor Bowling, this is our first time together. Um, so tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Bethlehem and your work at Concordia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was born and raised in New York City. Um, my sister and I uh, actually are both professional church workers, and we were both baptized on the same day, on Easter Sunday, um, at a small church in New York. And we went to Lutheran schools and um, did the whole thing of the Concordias as well, too, right? Um, so attended Concordia Chicago um, for my undergrad in theater with a minor in pre-seminary studies and languages, um, and then uh, went on to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis uh, for my Master's of Divinity, and then went on from there to uh, Concordia University in Portland, but then ported to Concordia, Wisconsin for my doctoral degree in leadership. Um, my doctoral degree is in leadership, innovation, and continuous improvement, and um, they shortened that to Leachy <laughs> at Concordia, Wisconsin. Um, okay. And the title of my dissertation is Human Resource Development in Urban Ministry Structures of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, um, oh. specifically looking at how human resources are developed through mentorship when it comes to uh, working in the field in urban churches. I did a qualitative study, so I got to um, talk with urban pastors all over the country in different cities um, and see their perspectives on ministry structure um, and what it takes to persist, right, in those contexts. And it was awesome. Um, my role at Bethlehem is as a pastor. Um, so I'm pastor to people. Uh, there's two pastors there. The other one, my dear friend and one of my greatest mentors of all time, um, uh, the Reverend Dr. Uh, John Schmicke, um, have been so grateful for his work in the city. He has been working in the city longer than I've been alive. <laughs> and yeah. So uh, yeah. he's got lots of experience when it comes to uh, how to reach people in, in a tough context. Um, and we're a community development and engagement center in addition to being a church. Um, so we do meaningful work, especially with kids and families um, in North St. Louis City. And we've recently expanded that work to, to the North St. Louis County and other areas to be able to produce excellent ministers to work in that context. 
but also really quality programming. Uh, so we've assumed control of the Lutheran Hope Center. Uh, we mm-hmm. also um, do some really great community engagement work, um, you know, through our EAC program, Ephrata Activity Center, um, which is in uh, in North St. Louis County at three different site locations right now. So we're a multi-location um, ministry, and my role on staff is preaching and teaching, of course, but then also to lead the leaders in those programs, right, and keep keep us growing and keep kids engaged. Uh, we've got over 350 kids that we see per week in our programs at Bethlehem from North St. Louis City, and that is a blessing. Um, wow. My work at Concordia, Texas, um, is actually a modality. modality um, so I'm a full-time professor of leadership and theology. I'm a crazy dude with two full-time jobs. Um, <laughs> and that means I get to teach uh, students who are studying leadership as uh, their official minor, which we started mm-hmm. at Concordia, Texas. Uh, for students to be able to add some leadership tenets to their major, right? Um, But then also students, I I get all the students uh, in the leadership department through our leadership series, um, and I deal with our online students in that. Um, In the religion department, I teach upper-level religion courses online, and then I also get to teach our gen-ed religion courses as well, and it's been a blessing to interact with students and get them studying the Word, right, while they're Mm. there, especially in a Concordia experience, it's important to immerse our students in that. Um, And I also serve as the teaching and learning equity officer, um, being able to promote diversity on our campus as well. So it's all been uh, a really, really great blessing and a holistic journey for me. As Lutherans, we have this tasty, juicy word called vocation, right? Mm -hmm. Delicious, that word. And I've gotten to really step into my vocation in that. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Bowling, it is, is great to have you on. I know you're a busy guy, and it is a joy that you're taking the time to study God's Word with us today. A, a little bit of a side note, Bethlehem was our fieldwork church during our seminary career for my wife and I, um, and so Bethlehem nice. is always near and dear to our heart. We had Pastor Schmidtke on one time here on the program, which is a real blessing, and um, yeah, I mean... It, 2153 Salisbury Street. That's a place that we dear love. My, my oldest was baptized there, and uh, we're always praying for you guys. So we really appreciate all you do and uh, and looking forward to being God's Word today. So, Pastor Bowling, as we're here to be in the Word of God, can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Let's go ahead and pray together. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, you are the God of all things and all people, all places and all directions. And we thank you, God, for who you are to us. We ask, Lord, that you would do what we know you always will do, which is fill us up as we study your word so that we are able to be poured out uh, to other people and places and spaces and communities. Lord, we ask that your word would refresh us at this time, that you would put us in a posture of listening and put us in a posture also, Lord, of understanding. Thank you, God, for using these weak things, these weak vessels to do your work. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us, and especially at this time in Lent, we thank you for the journey that you went on, the journey to the cross um, for us so that we could have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions concerning our text, Pastor Bowling obviously knows his theology and has studied the text, so send us an email if you have any questions, maybe even to try to stump him, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us on this live program, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. 
How we want to begin is we are in Matthew chapter 19. We'll be studying verses 16 through 30. And as we do that, we'll begin by, I'll be reading all of those. And then, Pastor, I'll come back to hear some of your first thoughts as we look at God's word this morning. So our to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 19, starting on the 16th verse. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is our reading for today. Pastor, how would you, uh, how do you want to start us off as we hear these words? Man, so, I mean, I think the uh, really interesting thing about this um, is that this young man, right, um, this wealthy young man comes to Jesus, um, and it, it starts out with him asking him this question, um, and he, he phrases it very particularly. He says, um, teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? Um, when, when we think of that, I think to myself, why does he start with that, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought of that before? Why does he oh, start yeah. there? Why does he say, hey, what thing do I need to do to obtain this? Um, and it really brings me to kind of the background behind this man uh, and what he would have been accustomed to. Right? So um, he's wealthy. Um, he's successful at what he does. Um, he has to have some kind of a work ethic, right, um, to be able to obtain such wealth. Um, at some sort of a young age, or at least manages his wealth well if he's inherited it, right? Um, So he's not foolish in what he does, um, and he's looking to see what marker he needs to hit in order to obtain uh, eternal life. Um, I think that that's such an interesting place to start. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and I I do think that well, the whole text really revolves around that. When he asks that question, it just—it's just God unveiling, Jesus unveiling this like 
deep theological issue that we all have, which from my own heart, I want to ask that question every day. Okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We naturally go there in our lives. So any, and why is that pastor? You want to maybe touch on that a little bit is why do I keep asking that? We know the truth, but yet we keep asking, what must I do? Well, even at the beginning of our conversation, Pastor, you were you were talking about how um, you know working hard is important, right? And we all can agree with that. Uh, hard work and dedication and um, commitment to our crafts, no matter what our craft might be. Um, but unfortunately, and fortunately, when it comes to eternal life, it is not the work we are going to do that's going to get us to be able to obtain that. Um, And that is so frustrating to us, I think, especially in our American society, that it's not something we could buy or not something that we can earn or not something we could work our way into. Um, It's Mm -hmm. something that is given to us freely, right, through Christ and his sacrifice. Um, and, And in the idea of obtaining it, Um, When you think of that specific word sort of used, how do I obtain this? It means what things do I have to do that amount to that? You know, we like to do our own math, right, of what it would take to get us to the next level. Um, And there's no particular math that even makes sense to get that. Um, You know, also at the beginning of the text, um, the way the man phrases this is important, too. So good teacher, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. good teacher, what do I need to do? in order to obtain eternal life. Um, and Jesus sort of asked, why do you call me good? Or why do you, why are you saying what is good, right? Um, there's only one who is good. Uh, and then the response to that is, um, you know, you should keep the commandments. And then the man asks, which ones, right? So you've got this kind of contentious sort of conversation that's happening between Jesus and this man. And I guess the first question I would ask is, does this man understand who Jesus really is, right? Um, Mm. does he have a complete understanding of who Jesus really is? And what I mean by that is, does he know that Jesus is not just a teacher, right, who is good at explaining different things and has sort of a following, right, Um, but that Jesus is actually God himself is the question. Um, And I think the text expands on that a little bit later, so we'll get there. Um, But the, the different things that Jesus responds with of, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Those are on the horizontal plane, right? Those are between me and my neighbor, right? Um, Things that are relational. And so the man says, hey, when it comes to everything relational, I've kept all those different things, right? So I've got that. What other thing can you bring to me? Um, and then Jesus' was, Jesus's response of, um, okay, if you, if you want to go ahead and go further, sell all your stuff and follow me. Why does Jesus say that? You tell me, Pastor. What, do you, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the reason why, and listeners, you can listen up to this, is the reason why Jesus says that is, okay, there's all these horizontal things, and, and you're saying, all right, you've done all those horizontal things. Well, what about the vertical sacrifice thing, right, of being able to follow me? And not just me being that Jesus is a teacher, and this goes back to the man understanding who Jesus really is, being able to follow God, right? Mm. Um, Because Jesus is God. And so you have this sort of confusion happening here in the beginning of the text um, with the young man saying, Oh, man, 
I, I really want to inherit eternal life. You know, good teacher, tell me what I need to do. And he's almost asking for an explanation from God himself, right? Um, mm. And it's sort of a lack of realization of who Jesus is or a lack of admittance of who Jesus is, which I think is pretty relatable to each and every one of us too, right? Um, in our daily lives, I think that there's um, somewhat a lack of admittance of uh, the sacrifice it takes to actually live and walk the Christian life and to walk as Jesus did, right? And to do as Jesus mm. has done, Um you know, it is a difficult thing, and it is a complicated thing um, that is not, you know, something that, that is necessarily comfortable for us. Um, so we tend to not want to do it. Yeah, and, and that is, boy, that, that really brings us back to that original word, teacher, when he addresses him. It is, it is strange. And, and one of the, the findings that I, I saw from, uh, from a few commentaries was just, the disciples always called him. They said, Lord, you know, there's a faith component. Yeah. Judas, when he addresses him a few times, twice, it's rabbi, which brings kind of a question of, did he fully understand? And here he comes as teacher. And he, like I said, yeah. like you said, well, you know, he comes with some kind of understanding that he needs to do something, which we can't get too hard on him because we naturally go there. But there definitely is a faith issue. And at first... It seems like for him, at least, boy, things are pretty good. You know, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I follow all of those commands. Um, and 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 how many times yeah. can we do that too? Like, well, I'm actually doing pretty good until we get to the brass tacks, and then we're like, oh, maybe I'm not so good. So yeah, it, 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 one of the comments too was that most of those um, laws were second table of the law, like you said, hors, the 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 hor, the, um, the horizontal realm. And, and he's yeah. looking at all of that. And then when he brings out this question about, okay, go ahead and sell everything, he hits to the first commandment to its fullest, yeah. which hits us all yeah. really hard. Any thoughts, uh, any thoughts, uh, any more thoughts on, on those verses? Well, I mean, yeah. So when he says, okay, if you want to be complete, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and you'll come and follow me. Jesus hit on that first table, right, completely in its fullness of, I'm going to encompass all three of these things, you know, of the fact that, you know, you should love the Lord your God, right, and put him first. I'm going to put that in there. Loving me means you give everything else up to follow me. Um, mm. the, the second, okay, I should go ahead and uh, make sure that I uh, remember the Sabbath and I keep it holy. Well, what better way to remember the Sabbath than following the one, right, um, who is the Lord of the harvest, right? But there's this sort of lack of realization. And you're right to say we shouldn't be too hard on the young man, right? But there's um, sort of an edgy, like, insubordination here, too, right? Um, you mm. you kind of go up a little bit. And, you know, him even asking which ones, right, when, yeah, when, yeah. when Jesus says the commandments. It's sort of a challenge of, well, do you really know your stuff? I deal with uh, undergrad students and all the time. <laughs> That's what they come at me yeah. with. The same thing with in ministry, my, my preschoolers all the way up to, you know, high school. That That's the, the number one thing they like to do, a little bit of, right, testing, right? Of, mm. Do you really know what you say that you know, right? Um, which for me as a pastor, I mean, I'm going to fall short. I mean, we're going to fall short, right? Listeners, right. pastors don't know everything. 
But when you're talking to the Lord Jesus, right, as he's teaching, he is God. And I think that we can't skip and miss that, that the realization of who Jesus is to, in the Trinity, right, is something that some people lacked at this point of time, you know, in history. Um, and this admittance of him being the actual Messiah and the level of respect, right, given to him and the level of honor given to him, right, because of who he is. And he is not someone created by God. He is God, right, um, is something that many people um, kind of pushed back against. And I see that here with this young man, you know. Um, right. And it goes on further after Jesus goes and schools him with, you know, the first table of the law and says, hey, get, get all your stuff together, sell it, and give it to the poor, and then follow me. Man, when, when the young man heard it, it says in verse 22, he went away and he was grieving because he owned so much property, right? And this, mm-hmm. this speaks to one word, Pastor, that I think that we can definitely um, not only vibe with, but it's something that we're going to struggle with, right, moving forward, especially in our society, which is accumulation of wealth, right? Mm. Wealth accumulation. Um, We understand that working hard is good. We want to set up our kids and our families. But what is, when is enough going to be enough, right, Um, for our families and in our society today? Um, I think to the book of Acts, you know, just to cross over there, and the idea of the apostles laying every, or the disciples laying everything at the apostles' feet, right? The people who followed, all the followers of Christ laid everything at the apostles' feet, and they shared together, and they broke bread together. It's this beautiful image. It's almost impossible to understand, because you think to yourself, well, what happens with the accumulation of wealth? What do you do in order to pass, you know, finances and, and, and good things on to the next generation, right? Um, the idea is, hey, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to learn how to love one another and share so that other people are not in need, right? And there's this sacrificial moment that has to happen that not all of us are willing to kind of grapple with. And this is, uh, boy, I mean, it really comes down to, uh, I'm going to share a few stories. One story in particular right here is, when I was a seminary, we had the men's ministry gathered at Bethlehem Lutheran, and they gathered at one of our field worker churches. Now, a few workers, yeah. um, now pastor at Christ Memorial, Pastor Jeff Clater's apartment. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there, Pastor Schmicky, I remember he looked at me and he goes, boy, you know, I love my family. I love my house. But boy, it was a lot simpler when all I had to worry about was staying in a small little apartment, just doing my schoolwork yep. and going to bed. <laughs> Yep. And so yeah, yeah. he just really, yeah, he brought together this wealth accumulation question that this, I mean, this man is very much so grappling with that, that, okay, um, I got this. And you would think when you're younger, when you're in the past, if I had that, then I'd be good. But all of a sudden you get that and you want more and you want more. And it brings us back almost to Satan. Did God really say kind of questions where is that it's like a whisper? Is that really enough? Is that really enough? Yeah. Which is not, it's not a question of, am I a millionaire? It's a question of, is it enough? And, th- and that really is good for all of us, whether we are rich or in the world's eyes or poor in the world's eyes, we always want more. Any reflections on that? Well, we've got this weird juxtaposition, right? Between our spiritual selves, our spiritual life, 
over and against the way that the world sees us, right? Mm-hmm. So when the world sees accumulation of wealth, when the world sees you being able to level up and get a bigger house or a nicer car or do more for your kids in this way or send them to a fancier this or that, right? Um, the world applauds that. The world says you're doing the right thing. Society says um, you are worthy, and that's what they deem as righteousness and worthiness. Come and flip it into the spiritual side. And, I mean, all the way at the end of this text, which I don't want to jump to because there's so much richness in between, Mm -hmm. but Jesus says the first shall be last, the last shall be first. You know, Um, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God, right? Um, There's this leveling and this evening of, of kind of the odds and the planes, um, that's almost frustrating because you think to yourself, man, I've worked so hard and I've done so much, but it has nothing to do with my spiritual standing. And it's kind of this um, idea of, of sinful nature in and of itself and the disease that it is, right? This disease, there's no way we can uninfect ourselves by what we can do or how much medicine we can take, right? I preached this sermon once and I brought out a... a um, a set of vitamins, and um, I brought out uh, Advil, right? Um, Advil temporarily takes the pain away. If you keep taking that and taking that and taking it, it's just your pain sensors that are, you know, kind of being shut off so that you don't feel the pain, even though it's still there. But vitamins are the things that are good for you, right? That each and every day when you take a vitamin, you take a vitamin in order to improve your health over time. You know, the Word of God and reading it and being immersed in it and being immersed in the things of God is the vitamin, right? It's saying to myself, mm-hmm. I need this every day. It makes me better. It fulfills me, right? Um, saying to ourselves that we're just going to accumulate things to show other people, you know, how much we've done, that's the Advil, right? I mean, we're, we're for a moment feeling a sense of happiness, but we know that the happiness that the world could give us is nothing compared to the joy that Christ gives us, right? And the joy mm-hmm. is the vitamin. And so, you know, how do we um, get people to understand that and get people to understand that, in a way, we're all in the shoes of this rich young man, right, Um, of of saying to ourselves, man, how do I give all this stuff up? And And that's where this text is so important, that we bring it back to ourselves in the sense that we, we realize what the problem for the rich man was. And then it, if it cuts us to the heart because he asked that question, what do I still lack? He wants, yeah. he wants a, a clear conscience. He wants to know that he's in a good relationship with the Lord. And then God completely throws him to the ground with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And he walks away sorrowful, which in one sense, I mean, it puts us in our place, and we need to repent. This is a season of Lent. But also, it, it grieves us, as we do in the church, when somebody walks away when it's a clear command to go back to the Lord, and they go the other way. And, Pastor, I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. But right now, when you take our break, we are studying Matthew chapter 19 with Pastor Gerard Bowling, and we'll be right back.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. studying Matthew chapter 19 with Pastor Gerard Bowling of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and also professor, assistant professor of theology and leadership at Concordia, Austin, Texas. And Pastor, we there, there's a part of me that when we see him walk away sorrowful, that we, one, realize our own sin, that we we kind of ask the question, what do I lack? And, some, and that's why we preach the gospel, of course. But we also feel this reality of he walks away. And Jesus does touch on why that is such an issue. But also, I want to kind of keep us a little bit in the grief because we see this in the church. People who want something other than Christ or or don't fully understand the, the gift that Christ gives to us walk away and how much we grieve. Any thoughts on that as, as a pastor, as a as a professor and in and, and your walk with the Lord yourself? You know, there's this sort of um this sort of delicate line of of having enough um on this side of heaven, right, in this world, mm. um, and then also uh, just accumulating because of lack of trust. Um, throughout the pandemic, I think of the statement uh, that's been made, the faith over fear, right? Um, I think when we unpack that a little bit more, um, what we fear is that um, we will not have enough, that we will go into a mode of scarcity, right? Um, and the reason why we need not fear it is because uh, the person who's the provider of all things is Christ, right? We're, we're in an urban congregation in Bethlehem, and uh, one of the things that we preach and teach um, so often because of just the place people are at, right, mentally and uh, financially, is that you are connected to the one who is the source of all things, right? And he will provide for all of our needs and he uses the people of God to be able to do that, right? Um, that's mm-hmm. the trust. That's the faith part, right, that we get to put out there, um, is that we've got a source, you know, um, that's that's bigger than what we could um, kind of imagine even for ourselves. Um, I do this uh, lesson with our kids at Bethlehem. Um, it's a part of our curriculum where I ask them what they would want, you know, and I take out a blank check, uh, just a check, and I take out a $20 bill, and I say, well, which one do you want? And most of the kids choose the $20 bill, because they don't understand that <laughs> the blank check, right, is an unlimited amount of money, or whatever is in Pastor Bowling's account, which is probably not going to be much, right? But the blank check is, is an unlimited amount of money, you know? Um, oftentimes, we don't understand that walking with Christ is a blank check, not in that Jesus gives us all the money, right, ever, that we would want, not mm-hmm. in that way, mm-hmm. but the way that Christ provides us with what we need, and the Holy Spirit has a way of funneling towards us, right, Um, people and experiences um, that work toward our good, right? We know that about God. 
Um, and so that's sort of the trust factor there. But there's this grief because so many of us just grab the $20 bill. We just want the immediate gratification, right, of, okay, well, this is what I need. This is, you know, in the moment of, um, of what's going to change me, you know, and that's kind of the hard part. So, Pastor, I want to read the next few verses, and I, and that really hits, and it and it dovetails to exactly what you just said. Um, so now Jesus starts to teach the disciples. So this rich man has gone away. We, we've 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 looked at him. We've seen him. Now Jesus starts teaching, and and then then this brings uh, brings up some other questions. Twenty three, and I want to read through twenty five, or excuse me, twenty six. And Jesus said to his disciples. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So he, they, they all, you can literally see this. They all are standing there while this rich man walks away, you know, with his tail between his legs, his head to the ground. There's no chance. And there's a, there's a, I mean, the disciples are definitely affected by what's just happened in front of them. Do you want to unpack this for us? Yeah. I mean, you know, Jesus, I love how Jesus takes these moments. I imagine it like a like a college classroom of, you know, the guests went away. Now I've got everybody in the classroom. I get to shut the door and I get to talk directly to the students, right? <laughs> so Jesus shuts the door. He's speaking directly to his students, his disciples. And he says, it's going to be hard for those who have great accumulation of wealth to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what I don't want our hearers to hear, right? I don't want them to hear that Jesus is saying um, money equals bad, that if you have lots of money, um, then you're never going to be able to go to heaven. That is not what Jesus is saying here, right? That's, Mm -hmm. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is it requires a great amount of focus and a great amount of mental um, and emotional and spiritual maturity to the point of generosity. And you've seen this with Jesus all throughout the book of Matthew, right, up until this point. Jesus encouraging people um, to, to leave their things and to follow him, um, and to leave behind even people that they love and to follow him as well, right? Um, in order to really, truly follow Christ, we have to be willing, right, um, to put that on the line. Pastor Schmicky has this really, really awesome device that he says, right, um, for, uh, you know, right before our offering time. I don't know if he did this you guys were at Bethlehem, too, but right before offering time, you know, the pastors will take a turn at, at teaching people about what offering means, right, and what it does not mean. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that he mentions is, you know, when you're thinking to yourself, how much should you give, right, and you're thinking of the percentages, you can think that way, but a great way of thinking of it is, Give until it hurts a little bit. Give until it pinches, right? Give until it's like, wow, this is giving, you know? And for everyone, that level is different, right, of what hurts a little bit. And the reason why you give in that way is because that's when you start to see sort of the the, the last chapter of Malachi, bring it into my storehouse and watch my, mm. God says, right? Watch what I do. Uh, 
with forgiven. Um, and, and that's the thing that we kind of have to focus on, um, you know, when it comes to this, is that it's about generosity and the way that our hearts are open to giving um, and open to sharing with others, right? That's going to change us when it comes to um, the way people are thinking, you know, in wealth accumulation. Um, you can be a wealthy man or woman, but if your heart is so open and you're generous, right, um, to the people of God around you, to your church and community, um, that changes everything, right? And, and Pastor Schmicky definitely said those those words um, during my time right. at Bethlehem. So definitely, and and it and it the, the striking thing about this is our natural reaction to this, and wherever we are, really, is to say, "Well, I'm not a rich person, so therefore, this doesn't apply to me. I'm good, you know. I'm good to go here." How would you address someone who brings it up, you know, in your context or college? Whoever, well, I'm not a rich person, so this isn't an issue for me. What would you tell them? Oh, man, we all have that level of what hurts a little bit, though. You know, there's yeah, no yeah. way that anyone can say that they don't, that they had absolutely nothing, right, to the point of mm-hmm. they couldn't give anything. You know, I put it like this, man, when I, uh, when I'm speaking to, like, college students, and we have a one week in, on generosity, right, in one of the courses that I'm thinking of, um, what I talk about is, okay, you have absolutely nothing, but do you have a car? Oh, yeah, I have a car. I have to get back and forth to different places, go to school, go to work. Okay, you've got a car. So do you know someone who doesn't have a car? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know somebody who doesn't have a car. Have you offered to ride that person somewhere so that they don't have to, right, um, Mm -hmm. do X, Y, Z, or A, B, C in order to get back and forth from the laundromat? I've never thought of it that way is is the answer, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We all have something called assets is what we describe in leadership, right? Different assets that we have that we have no idea will display markers of what wealth is or what security is, right? You may have the thing that you take for granted the most that other people don't have. At Bethlehem, we see that all over the place. Man, some things that we take for granted, you take for granted having a mom and a dad that loves you, right? That you can have dinner and and you have dinner together as a family, you pray before you eat, and, and then you get tucked into bed. Not everybody has that. So if you have a friend, if you're one of our youth or one of our our members at Bethlehem who has that security, invite somebody over to your house so that they can have dinner. Invite somebody over so that they won't feel loneliness, right, Um, if they've been living alone. That's still generosity. That's still giving, right? It's not only your, your, your talent as far as the finances. It's your time and, and all those different things that you have, too, that you can also give. And so we all have something, and we've got to stop pretending like we don't, right? Um, and when is it going to pinch or hurt a little bit is what we've got to ask ourselves. And the words, and this is going back to exactly what the, the, the source idea that, that you brought up. And then, you know, the disciples ask, I mean, they're kind of astonished because we all kind of assume when someone has a lot of money or wealth, that that's just a blessing from the Lord. So, like, if I have a lot of money, that means I'm blessed by the Lord. Therefore, I'm in the faith. And they're like, and they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, what do you mean? Like, if I don't have money, da, 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 then who can be saved? And then Jesus says these words, which gets us back to that source. And I want you to tell us a little more about this in, in your uh, ministry is looked at them and said, with man, it is, is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Um, I think this goes back to your source that you were talking about when you teach. Why is this such an important piece of this reading today? Well, I think the most important thing here um, is that 
we have to look outside of ourselves. Um, mm. And this is the powerless piece of it. And this is what really pinches and really hurts for each of us. We have to say to ourselves and get to a point where we say, I have no idea what my future is going to be and no idea if it's going to be secure. But I know that the one who has me in his hand is never going to let me fall. Right. Whatever that means. And it's this complete blind childlike faith and trust in something outside of me as my source. I remember driving through one of the craziest snowstorms, right? I was coming back from Illinois with, with my uh, daughter. I just had my daughter, not my son. I don't remember why. And my daughter's asleep in the back seat, right, in this crazy snowstorm. And my hands are, like, on the wheel. I'm from New York City, so I'm like, oh, man, I could do a little bit of snow. But it really started coming <laughs> down, right? And cars were sliding off the road. The ice was already there. You know how we do in St. Louis with ice and, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and everything's happening around me and I'm kind of scared when I'm driving with my daughter and she's sleeping and I, I remember that the car slipped just a little bit on the road and I got it back in control and I looked back at my daughter and she woke up for a second and she went right back to sleep and I was thinking to myself in this moment she completely trusts me as the driver and as her father because she knows I'm going to take care of her so no matter what the environment is doing my daughter's trust is in me, right, to be able to safely arrive at the destination. That's the kind of trust Jesus is asking from us, right? That no matter what happens in our environment and our landscape of, of what's going on in our daily lives, of what's going on in the world, right, that's upside down, we've got to have this blind trust in our Father to be able to bring us to our destination, right? And, and it's the kind of trust that a child has, where they just know, oh, they're going to take care of me, you know? Um, And and it's hard to do for those who have much, right? But in a lot of ways, it's hard to do for us who have little, too. And Pastor, as we, uh, the next portion of this, and this is such a wonderful reality, like you just said, is to trust. And I, you know, I have four children of my own, and there are the moments where you're, you're grabbing a hold of that the steering wheel, and they're sleeping, like they say, as a baby, and that trust. Yeah. And we pray that the Holy Spirit gives us that same trust of the Lord, which the rich young man did not have, and he's exhorting us to have by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. When we get to these last number of verses, Peter kind of brings it back around and doesn't look outside himself as much as we would hope. Um, but I, before we get there, um, anything you else you want to highlight in those first number of verses up to verse 26? Oh, yeah. I mean, when, I think that one thing that we definitely can't glaze over is when the, the disciples hear this, it says they were astonished, right? They were wowed. They were amazed, right? And they said, who can be saved? Um, I think that that still is us today, right? The astonishment, the wow, the, the wonderment of saying, well, uh, it's hopeless, right? Um, and Jesus comes in right there with that hope and that, you know, that encouragement of faith and trust um, right after that. Uh, I just don't want us to miss that um, because I think that a lot of times, especially nowadays, it can become easy to be hopeless. So if you are listening and you feel that way, know that you serve a God that says, though there are things around you that appear to be impossible, remember that all things are possible through me, right? Um, and that that's real. That That's a word that we can stand on. And it doesn't always mean in the way what we want it to mean, right? 
Um, it doesn't always mean that the things that I think need to line up are going to line up. It means that, again, we've got that blind faith and blind trust that our Father is going to be able to do that. So. Let's continue. We have about just over 10 minutes left in our time. And this last part is one of the, I would say that when I read this, these, this part of scripture, you know, I can talk a lot of times people will talk forever about the, the camel and the eye of the needle and all of these things. And I think we've captured the essence of what Jesus is saying there that we'll talk about, you know, he walks away sorrowful and all this is all great. Um, but this last part, I was like digging into this. I'm like, wow, I've never looked into this very much. So verses 27 through 30. I want to make sure we spend an extended period of time in. So I'll read verses 27 through 30. And then Peter, you know, this kind of tends to be a problem for him. He starts talking and it doesn't quite go out correctly. Verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to him, to them, truly, I say to you in a new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, I have to take, I'm going to step back one moment, is that we, we can't be too hard on Peter because he is speaking as a man of faith. He's a man just like you and I, just like the rest of you, our listeners, that we ask the question. And yeah, maybe it wasn't the exact right question, but you are, I'm going to say on the right track, if I can say it that way. But he asked that question. We've left everything. So what do we get? Now it gets into some tricky language and we can get lost in the weeds. How, Lord, how would you, uh, uh, Gerard, how do you want to keep us uh, centered as we look at these words? Yes. So, you know, again, we can't be too hard on Peter. That's my boy in the scriptures. <laughs> I get what he's saying, right? Um, right? He's saying, hey, okay, so we did all this stuff. So now what? That, that's really what he's saying. We've asked that question too, right? So now what? And Jesus has this, this awesome answer where he says, those who have followed me, you know, you're going to be able to sit on this glorious throne. And he, he makes this beautiful description that you just read. I think that um, what Jesus does is he brings it to the simplicity um, of a complicated heaven. That's what I'm going to call this Mm, section, the simplicity of a complicated heaven. I'm going to use a ministry story to describe this. Um, Mm. And every time I think of this ministry story, it just, it kills me. Um, Mm. Earlier on in my, well, a few years ago, I would say four years ago now in my ministry at Bethlehem, um, I was called down to the hospital, there was a a young woman who had had a baby and um, the baby was born multiple months premature. And it was my first call uh, to a NICU with a baby of that age group, right? Um, And I go to the NICU of hundreds of crying babies and I walk through and I see this young woman from our church and this little tiny baby in a glass capsule, right? Um, that plasticky glass capsule that they put them in. And the baby is barely respirating, breathing in and out. And mom is crying, grandma's crying, everybody's crying around the baby. And they have no idea how much time left they have with that child. And, you know, immediately what this young woman says is she says, Pastor, would you baptize her right now, right here? And so I got this little tiny eyedropper 
um, from the NICU nurse. And I got this little tiny um, section of water that was purified water. And I had somebody hold, um, you know, the hymnal open so that I can do the rite of baptism. And I had this little tiny towel that they gave to me. And I baptized that baby with an eyedropper on the forehead and said in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with that little eyedropper. And in that moment, there was an immediate rush of emotion because we all knew where that baby was going, right, was secure, no matter what the outcome was, right, that she was a part of God's family, um, no matter what, from here on out. And in that moment, everything became so simple, even though everything is so complicated, right? Yeah, um, right. And the fact that those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If you believe and trust in him and you are baptized, you shall be saved. All those scriptures came back. And the simplicity of that moment came into fruition that she would inherit eternal life should she meet her maker today, right? By the grace of God, she did not meet her maker that day and still became a child of God and, and is healthy now, right? A, a healthy wow. uh, three-year-old. But... I think that the beauty of the moment described is that it's really simple what happens, right? So Peter says, we've done all this. We've followed you. Now what do we get? Oh, here's what you get. You get to be with me forever, <laughs> right? You get to continue to follow me. And, and it's not just on this plane, right? It's into the next. Um, and, and it's really, really simple even though it feels really, really complicated, just because of the winding road, right, in between this life and the next. And I think Peter is disappointed somewhat in that answer, um, most likely, because he's mm -hmm. confused by Jesus' language there, right? He's saying, oh man, everybody who's, uh, who's left people for my name's sake, that they'll inherit eternal life, but those who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What he means is, hey, it's your job, right? This missional moment. It's your job to go out and create more disciples and spread this word so that you're almost the last one in the door, right? I mean, you, you know this, you're a dad. You know, mm -hmm. when you're going into an elevator or you're going into a, another space, you're the last one in to make sure everybody has gotten in first, right? And then it's you last. You know, Absolutely. Peter, you're spreading the gospel and you should be the last guy behind everybody else making sure that they get into the church doors, right, is what Jesus is saying. Um, I mean, it, it's the physical kind of implication of what he's saying, but then also there's a mental and spiritual component to it as well. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor. The simplicity of salvation, the simplicity of heaven really comes through on that. And thanks be to God for his grace upon that child and for your work among them as well. And, and we look at Peter and we realize the, comp the the complexity that he's asking, the simplicity that the Lord gives to him. But then Peter yeah. gets it later on after the resurrection, right? Jesus, Jesus goes yeah. and visits him. They're in the boat, and and he jumps out of the boat and goes right to Jesus because he realizes the simplicity of this faith is to be with Jesus, you know. And they have yeah. breakfast and so forth. And I think that really captures it. The moment that you had you all the questions they did not know, but you did know that that child 
would be with the Lord Jesus, no matter what happened. In verse 30, Pastor, I think you, you talked about it before, and I think it brings it all back together, not only in this text, but also in the book of Matthew. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What is Jesus telling us? Well, I think that it has implications, like I said, uh, literally physically, right? So the last one in concept. Um, it's, it's, um, it's spiritually as well, though, however, too, right? Um, and so the evening of, of, of the plains um, comes in a spiritual realm. I think to myself, right, um, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm so excited to see what it looks like. But, you know, in heaven, celebrities that be- believed and trusted in Jesus Christ will no longer have security guards that are all around them in heaven, right? Um, and people who are blocking them from other people and publicists who are making them more famous in heaven. That's not going to happen anymore, right? There's, there's not going to be uh, your house is bigger than mine or you've got this that's better than mine when we get to heaven, right? Because when we're with Jesus, and like you said, I love it, that proximity to Jesus, right? Mm. That closeness mm. to him, there's going to be a fullness beyond what we can understand stand, that is going to satiate our feeling of having enough, right? Um, and it's not going to be from physical means, but instead it's going to feel, uh, it's going to be from spiritual fulfillment. And so this is very spiritual in saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first, because the person who has absolutely nothing, right, um, who's living on the streets of North St. Louis, um, or the student who is absolutely scrapping, right, to make their education happen and taking out loans and working 20 hours out of 24, those people will be on the same plane, right, because they have the same meaning to our Lord Jesus as those who are rich and famous in this life, right? And there's something comforting about that. Even though people, when we take it to our sinful nature on this side of heaven, would say, oh, I don't like that, you know? There should be a caste system or a way we can work our way up or something like that. Or, you know, we should get tickets in heaven, kind of like the meek schnooks, right, of, of who's first and who's last and et cetera and so forth. No, the beauty of it is we all have this close proximity to Jesus and our relationship with him becomes realized. We have a piece of this, Pastor, um, that's, that's given to us on this side of heaven. On Sunday morning, when your pastor says, come, the feast is ready for you, and you gather around the altar, and you are there with the church militant, meaning the people who are there, right, Um, the people of God in the room, and the church triumphant, the people who have gone on before, people we love, who believe and trust in Jesus and are with him, we're shoulder to shoulder with one another at that rail. And in that moment, that is the closest we are to the Lord Jesus on this side of heaven when we receive him and we take him in, right? And that's where we get kind of this foretaste of this greater feast to come, of what it means to be all together and be family in that way, right? That be in that, in that other side. And that's that's the, the great equaling of planes. The first shall be last and last shall be first on this side of heaven. And it only, it's just a glimpse, right? Most places, 20 to 30 minutes, right? Communion will last. It depends on what, 10 to 30 minutes, right? But that right. is just a glimpse of what Jesus has planned for us. And, and the beautiful picture in that is, 
you go up there, like you said, you're all on the same playing field. There's not a question of, okay, hey, you, you get the bigger cup or you get the bigger piece of bread that we're all yeah. there confessing to the world that we are indeed sinners and we need the forgiveness of our Lord. Pastor, we have about a minute left. How would you summarize our time and encourage our listeners with these words today? I would say um, that, again, um, it, we've all fallen short. Um, we've all been uh, the rich man, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. some of us lean on that side even more than others at different times. Um, but I would say to you, remember the one who is the source of all things, right? And today, let's blindly put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus, knowing that he's going to take care of us. And knowing that there's going to be this great equalization of all people, this beautiful proximity to Jesus that will happen. Um, and we, we just got to wait for it, right? Um, but then make that our Lenten journey as well, right? Um, as we walk in his proximity with him, the steps to the cross. Um, I challenge them to do that. The Reverend Dr. Gerard Bowling of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and Assistant Professor of Leadership and Theology at Concordia University in Austin, Texas, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 19. Pastor Bowling, thank you for bringing us his gifts. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.